This morning we will be uh, starting a new series going through the book of Philippians. So if you have your Bibles, uh, turn to Philippians chapter 1, verses 1 through 11. Chapter 1, verses 1 through 11. So uh, we concluded last week our, our mission and vision series as we've been walking through what we're seeking to do as a church, and we're going to begin now trying to do everything we can to apply those things in what we do. And so as we go through Scripture, as we go through our sermons, we're going to, at least for this series, be going through the entire book of Philippians. We will cover every verse in Philippians. Now, that'll be in big verses and big chunks at a time. Uh, so the first one is 1 through 11, but we'll be here for a little while. The reason for that, as we, we saw, we talked about the authority of Scripture, all Scripture is God-breathed, right? Profitable for for teaching, for rebuking, and exhorting in godliness. And so we're going to see if we can get everything that we can find that Philippians has to offer, starting in verses 1 through 11. To do that, I think it's important we understand that Philippians was a letter that was written from Paul and Timothy to the church in Philippi. Okay, We're going to get a little bit of background before we get into this book. So we can see what God was saying through Paul to the church in Philippi, Learn what God is teaching them so that we can see from those truths how we can apply that to our lives, how we can apply that today as New Bethel Baptist Church in Evansville, and how we can live from that. So an introduction to the book of Philippians. Philippi was a Roman colony in a leading city in the district of Macedonia. We see this church being planted in the book of Acts in chapter 16. If you'll go uh, to the next slide, we can see a map. Uh, so at the very top... It's kind of hard to see, but the very top middle, you see Philippi. So it's probably closer to Rome than it is to Jerusalem, where the events of, of, of Pentecost took place. So the church born in Jerusalem now has spread by Acts chapter 16 to Philippi. And we see that the first person to believe in Philippi was Lydia, right? You've probably heard the story of Lydia. She was a purple cloth dealer. She was in Philippi. So she believed, and then her whole family believed, and they were baptized, and they, and they, and they allowed Paul and his associates to stay at her house. While they're also there, this is the story where Paul is proclaiming the gospel, and there's this girl that's possessed by a demon we see in the book of Acts where she's telling prophecies and making her, her, her employer, her owner, she's a, she's a slave or a servant to this person, she's making them a lot of money. And Paul gets a little annoyed and casts the demon out. And Well, the guy's not very happy about that because there goes his source of money because she was a fortune teller of sorts. And while he's in jail, they're singing songs, they're worshiping God, and the, the, the jail doors are thrown open, but they stay. And this is where the guard that is there hears, he's like, oh no, I'm going to be in major trouble. He's about to take his own life. And Paul says, no, don't do that, we're still here. And he and his family believe. So that's the birth of the church of Philippi. A lot of miracles, a lot of people that are, that are there that believe. And this is the, the, the church that Paul is writing this letter to. So he helped plant it. He was there at the beginning. Now he's writing a letter to encourage and to look at the church in Philippi. So with that, let's get into this, this book, into this passage, starting in verse 1. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi, including the overseers and deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I give thanks to my God for every remembrance of you, always praying with joy for you, for all of you in my every prayer, 
because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. I am sure of this, that he who started a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Indeed, it is right for me to think this way about all of you because I have you in my heart and you are all partners with me in grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness how deeply I miss all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. And I pray this, that your love will keep on growing in knowledge and every kind of discernment, so that you may approve that the things that are superior and may be pure and blameless in the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Let's go to the Lord in prayer this morning. Father, we thank you for this wonderful day of worship we've already had, just singing your praises, uh, celebrating baptism. God, we just pray that you will we'll move among us. We thank you for what you've done, and we pray that during this time, as we look at your word, that you will help us to see what you were saying to us this morning. We pray that you will help us to see the truths of Scripture, and that we will apply those things very intentionally to our lives, that we will seek to follow you, and to leave this place more dedicated and devoted to who you are. Lord, it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So as we're looking at this passage, again, I want to remind you that this was a letter to the Philippians. Okay, he is remembering them. He's thanking God for them in his prayer. But we can see from this ways that we should live. The first thing we see from this passage, the first thing that we're going to talk about is that the gospel creates a relationship. The gospel creates a relationship. The good news, the gospel, the good news that Jesus Christ died on the cross for us creates a relationship. The first relationship that the gospel creates is a relationship with Jesus. That's the, the most simple one to understand, right? That, that Jesus died for us so that we could have a relationship with God. All of the people in this letter are involved in our, our, the, the, the senders of this letter, the recipients of this letter. They have one thing in common. They all have a relationship with Jesus. Because of the grace of God, because of what Jesus has done, they are all partners in grace. They are partners in the gospel. Paul, Timothy, and all the saints. We are here today because of the gospel. We are here because of what Jesus has done for us. I would say the majority of you are here and you have been in church through your life because of a decision you made to believe what Jesus has done for you to understand your sinfulness, to understand your need for a Savior, your need to repent and to believe and to follow. That's the gospel. And because of that, you have a relationship with God. You have a relationship with Him. This is the most important relationship that you can have in your life. To have a relationship with the God who created you, who loves you, with, with the God who, who sent His own Son to die for you. You've probably heard many people through the years that there's the, the, the common phrase, it's not a religion, it's a relationship. And in this idea, they, they take the idea of a religion, it's about following rules, where a relationship is about what Jesus has done for you and, and, and interacting with him. And that's true. It's not about what we do. It's not about what we come and what we offer, but it's about what Jesus has done for us. It's about the grace that has been offered to us through what God has done and we must always remember that this relationship was initiated by God. 
So we often like to, to hear and to talk about stories of the beginning of relationships. And every time you, you meet a new person and a new couple, you'll at some point probably ask them, well, how did you two get to, get to know each other? How did you two meet? And somewhere in the story, there's always the person that was interested first, right? There's always the person that, that made the first move, that, that asked the other person out on the date, right? When we remember our relationship with God, it's important that we remember that God is the one who initiated the relationship, right? Romans 5, 8, I don't think we can, we can overemphasize this enough, but God proves his own love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we were sinners, while we were not interested, while we were doing our things, chasing the ways of the world, doing everything we wanted to do other than serve God, God loved us and he initiated the relationship and showed his love that Jesus died for us. And we see this here that he who began a good work, this is in verse, in verse 6, I am sure of this, that he who started a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Jesus Christ. So God started the relationship. He is the one who saved us. We can't do anything in our salvation other than to surrender and accept the free gift given by Christ. And he started it, and he will see it to completion. We talked last week in sharing our faith and how that is empowered by the Holy Spirit. This process through which we follow him is also empowered by the Holy Spirit. So the work was started because of what Jesus did on the cross. We repent, we believe, we're filled with the Spirit, and God will see it to completion. We know that God will remain faithful in this relationship. God will not leave us or forsake us. I think this is a hard thing for us to grasp. Right? The gospel creates relationship. It creates a relationship with God that cannot be severed. It's important that we understand that. that there's nothing you can do once you've been saved to, to, to end that relationship. He's not going to walk away from you. He's not going to leave you. When we look at our human relationships, and that's very difficult to believe. I, I've not been, I'm, a, I'm, many, I'm much younger than many of you, and you've had much more experience, but you can remember, I can remember so clearly people that I was close to and had great relationships with, great friendships with that I don't see anymore. That's the nature of human relationships. Sometimes that's because of death and people are taken from this world and they're no longer here with us, and sometimes that's because of life circumstances where you go different directions. And it's not, sometimes it's negative and there's hurt and there's pain there, and sometimes it's not. It's just the nature of human relationships. They're temporary. And so when we look at our life and we look at the relationships that we're used to and we see that relationships end. People hurt us. People abandon us. People will go a different direction. They don't care as much as they maybe said they did. It's hard to understand and to grasp and to believe that God, who loved you first, while you were in rebellion against him, has saved you and will now continue from now through eternity and will never leave you or forsake you. That's the truth of Scripture. We can believe that. We can believe and to know that we are secure in our relationship with God. This is also a relationship that can and should change all of your future relationships. Again, you can probably think of relationships in your life that once that relationship began... Everything changed. Maybe you made a friend that introduced you to a whole new circle of friends that, are, that you wouldn't know where your life would be if you'd never met these people. The most obvious example is when you meet your spouse and you get married and you have this life that you build with this person that if you'd never met them, it wouldn't be. Your children, 
the people that come into that you help bring into this world and you see how your life changes and and how you can love someone so much these relationships change our life but there's not a relationship in the world that should change our life more than our relationship with God it should impact the way we interact with those we already know and with those we have not yet met the relationship with God changes all of our future relationships you know, it can almost sound like the beginning of, of a bad joke. What do a Jewish Pharisee, a half-Greek, half-Jewish boy, and a bunch of people in a coastal city in Greece have in common? Jesus. All of the people here are following together. They have a relationship with one another because of Jesus. They come together. They know each other. They have this affection because of Jesus. And the second thing we see, the gospel creates rela- relationship among believers. So the gospel creates relationship with us and God, and the gospel creates relationship among believers. And these believers should then have a common bond that surpasses other bonds in the world. You know, last week was my my first Sunday back after being on a mission trip. And so a little bit intimidated when I went on that. I was one person meeting a bunch of people that only one of them I had met for, for one evening in Louisville to go for a week to meet other people I haven't met. But it was a wonderful week. And those people that I was with, it felt like I'd known them for years. You know why? Because we love Jesus. And we were going on mission to serve and to love other people who loved Jesus for the proclamation of the gospel. So it didn't matter the backgrounds. It didn't matter who they were. We got to know those things about each other. But when we first came together, it's easy to have a deeper relationship than you might have with many other people because you have the most important thing in common. This partnership that Paul has with the Philippians is based upon their shared relationship with Christ. Now, in Acts, it does say that Paul and his companions stayed in Philippi for a little while, but it's not like he lived years and years and an enormous amount of time with these people. But what do we see here? I give thanks to my God for every remembrance of you, always praying for joy for all of you in my my every prayer because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. We see this deep abiding love that has been founded upon what? The gospel. Their common shared love of who Jesus is. The Philippians have a relationship with Christ, and this is what stirs this affection within Paul. However, it is evident that the actions that have resulted from their faith has deepened that bond. That's important to see here. It's not just they have Jesus in common. That's a part of it. But we see some different letters that we'll get to at some point where Paul's relationship is there and he loves them, but he's also a little frustrated with them. If you read through 1 Corinthians, you're going to see some frustration from Paul. Why? Because they aren't living their faith out very well. His affection, right, what he says, he he loves them. He has this deep abiding affection because of their partnership in the gospel. Not only have they expressed that they believe these things, but they have been living out in their lives. They have been partnering and doing the things that Paul is also doing. They are about the same mission. They are living their lives in such a way that God will be glorified through their lives. And because of that, Paul, his affections are stirred for them. The way they have partnered in the gospel, he thanks them because of their partnership in the gospel and the concern that they have for him. And we'll get to that in just a bit, but Paul is in jail when he writes this letter. He's writing this letter from prison. And they have showed their concern and their affection for him in that as well. 
It's not just that we're on the same team. It is that we are to be actively working together for a common goal. And this action of commonly working together causes a deep and abiding affection between believers. And you can think about that, can't you? In your life, some of the greatest relationships that you have are people that you have worked together with toward a common goal. I think back to people that I, I grew up with playing sports. I haven't seen them for years, but if I see them, there's an affection. There, there's a commonality because we both work together as a part of a team. There's not a greater team, a greater goal, a greater cause that we can be a part of than seeking and following Christ with our lives. So the gospel creates relationships. But the next thing we see is that the gospel creates partnership. And first, like relationships, the relationship with God is what came first. The gospel causes us to partner with God through our obedience. The gospel creates partnership with God. This is through our obedience. We have been given the work of the gospel that is to be engaged in. That's what we talked about last week. Evangelism in missions is the, is the role of every believer to engage in proclaiming the gospel, to glorifying God, to sharing and to expanding his kingdom in this world. And I don't know if you can have wrapped your head around that, but the beautiful thing about the gospel is that the God who created you, the God who saved you, has then chosen to use us in the proclamation of this good news to the world. It, it, does, that, does that blow your mind a little bit, that the God who saved you and loved you has, has done all of this good things that would then choose to use you to share that good news with others? That you get to be a part of the spread of the good news of what God has done to the world. You get to be a part of, of who God will use to bring people to salvation. You can see people's lives change if you'll be faithful and share the gospel. We see in 2 Corinthians 5.20, Therefore we are ambassadors for Christ. Since God is making His appeal through us, we plead on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God has given you the place where you are His mouthpiece to a lost and dying world. We don't do anything to save. We don't do anything to convict. We must simply be faithful in presenting the message to a lost and dying world. But through this, we partner with God. We are engaged in the work of the proclamation of the gospel to the world, and God has entrusted that to us. God has entrusted the proclamation of the good news of what He's done to those who have believed in Him. And so it's a beautiful thing. It's a thing to remember and to be in awe at that God would trust you. He would use you no matter where you've been, no matter what you've been through. God will use you for his glory. But it's also a burden. And it should concern you whether you're being obedient or not that the way that God will proclaim the gospel to the world is through you. And that you must be faithful. You must be obedient. We look at the world around us and we see how much people need God. How much people need the gospel. And we could look, it would be easy to look and say, well, man, how's this ever going to change? It starts with you. It starts with me. Each of us being obedient in our lives. Sharing the good news of God. God is the one who convicts. God is the one who saves. But he has partnered with us in that he convicts when his people proclaim the truth about him. And then we see through this that we partner with one another 
to share the gospel. It's not just that we're partnering with God to do this. We partner with one another in this work. And it's clear that the Philippians have done this. He calls them partners in the gospel, partners in grace. And he does that and says it's because of how they've defended and confirmed the gospel. Paul regularly, through all of his letters, talks about those who work with him in the gospel. And he almost refers to it as though they are working at almost a company. Like this is a a common goal. We are all uh, co-workers together in this. He is mentioning people often at the end of the books where people like to skip that part, right? The, the parts at the end where he says, greet all the brothers with a, with, a, with a holy kiss, and he lists off a bunch of people's names. He often refers to them as co-workers in Christ. And you shouldn't skip those things. We see the testimony of people being faithful. But what, what do we see there? What's the importance of that? We see this, this network of people being obedient to God, this relationship that exists, this partnership. Last week, we spoke about the situation with Apollos and and the Corinthians where some of them were saying, I follow Paul, I follow Apollos. And he's saying, God is the one that does the work. And that's what we talked about. It doesn't matter when you proclaim the gospel, God is the one that does the work. You don't have to worry about how eloquent you are. You don't have to worry about those things because God is the one who convicts. But later we see how he confirms this idea of partnership in the gospel in 1 Corinthians 3, 7 through 9. So then neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. Then he goes on to say, Now he who plants and he who waters are one, and each will receive his own reward according to his own labor. For we are God's co-workers. You are God's field, God's building. And some may look at that passage and think that means that they are working with God. And I don't think in this passage that's what it means. He's saying, Paul, Apollos, we're on the same team. You guys have made it about, oh, I follow Paul, I follow Apollos. We're on the same team. The one who plants, the one who waters are one. We're together. We are God's co-workers. It's though they are employed by God. And not really that, because if you look at the beginning of this, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, that's the same word that's used for slave. Doulos, he is God's slave. He is God's servant. His whole life belongs to God. And so when he looks at these, these are fellow servants, fellow people who, are, who have left the bondage of enslavement to sin. We see this in Romans. They are in, no longer enslaved to their sin, but they are enslaved to God because of what he's done for them. He, they have given themselves to him. And so we see this idea that we are all on the same team for the proclamation of the gospel, for the expansion of the kingdom of God. They are co-workers in the mission of God. And this is how we should view one another. That those who are faithful to the mission of God are our co-workers. And that's within this church. And that's also without, outside of this church. That those who are being faithful to the mission of God are on our team. There's this very unfortunate thing that seems to happen among churches often where it's almost a competition of who can get more people to come to their events or who can get these people to do that. We are not in the business of trying to compete with other churches. Churches exist as, as bodies of believers that are worshiping God to then go and to reach a lost and dying world. We are not competing with one another. Churches and Christians should be working with one another to fulfill the Great Commission and make disciples of all nations. This idea that we've gone through with our mission and vision of building our new Bethel is not to build this church at the expense of others, but rather to build and grow this church at the expense of hell. That we would reach lost and dying people where they are 
so that this church will grow and to be what it's called to be. But also that our prayer should be that our, our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ at other churches would be doing the same thing that they would grow. There are lost people enough for every church. There's enough lost people to go around. We should not be competing with one another. And so we should regularly examine in our lives and as a church how we can partner with one another. And if we are to share the gospel, it's better we do so together. Find ways to partner. Find ways to go. If you want to go with someone, take another. When Jesus sent them out, he sent them out in pairs. We are not called to this work alone, but to do it together. We see here also that we partner with one another through the difficulty of life. It's not just in the work of the gospel that, that the Philippians have this commonality. That's what brought them together. But they're also concerned for Paul and his situation. That he is in jail, that he's in prison. They've shown it, they expressed care for him. We see throughout Scripture that Christians should care for one another. So we should be willing to come alongside and care for one another when we face difficulties in our life. When, when hard things happen, how can we, because of our love for Christ, because of what he's done for us, be motivated to care and love one another. And all of this culminates in, in the final thing that we see in this passage is that the gospel creates life change. We see this idea that he who started a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. This is the idea that the work that was started is not finished and it won't be finished until the day of Christ Jesus. And we see here that, that he prays for them. And he said, starting in verse 9, I pray this, that your love will keep on growing in knowledge and every kind of discernment so that you may approve the things that are superior and may be pure and blameless in the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ, the glory and praise of God. We are being brought to a place where we must come to look more like Christ. His love for them and his care for them prompts that he prays that they come to look more like Christ, that they'll grow in knowledge, that they'll grow in love and become pure and blameless. This is what we see. And doing this means turning from the sin in our lives. I think one of the truest statements that, that I've ever heard is that the more that you follow God, the, the closer you get to him, the, the more you realize about him, the more aware you become of your own sin. The closer you grow to God, the, the more devoted you are, the more aware of your own sinfulness you become. I want you to imagine for a moment if you were to enter into a massive giant warehouse and it's completely dark and all you have is a, is a small flashlight and in front of you you see some junk because of this flashlight you have. There's some junk there and, and maybe you clean it up and then you get more light and you realize the more light you have this entire place is filled with junk. And no matter if you begin to clean the first place, there'll be things you can't even see until you get through some of the stuff that's in, the way, in your way. You're not even going to get to the back of the warehouse until you get through the things that are at the front. That's how our lives are. When we come to Christ, there's going to be some very clear, glaring things we realize. And we knew all along were the things that were wrong. We knew we shouldn't be doing these things. That, that if you ask most people, even if they might say they're a good person, they can also identify some things in their life that don't line up with God's Word. Even if they're not even trying to line it up with God's Word, they'll know there's things they can probably do better, ways they fall short, ways they're not as good as they even want to be. So when we come to Christ, we realize these things, and we should repent and believe 
But the more we follow, the more we realize just how difficult it is to follow the greatest commandments. To love God with all you are and to love your neighbors yourself. The more you love God, the, re- the more you realize the ways you don't love Him. The more you realize the things in your life that need to change. The more you realize the things, the ways you can be more obedient, more devoted. Right? This is the reason I, I mention that because God is light and He reveals the darkness within us. And the closer we get to that light, the more aware of our dark places we become. And so if we're growing and we're growing in love and growing in knowledge, it's through that process we're able to see and to purify ourselves from all unrighteousness. The process of becoming like Christ never ends. And we cannot rest in our, our pursuit of holiness until our holiness matches Christ. That's the thing to understand. We can't rest in our pursuit of holiness and being like Him until our holiness matches Christ. And that's not going to happen in this lifetime. It's a, it's a continual process. And a part of this process and this understanding in relation to who God is is that we will also have to see how we've allowed the actions of others to shape us. It's not only our sin that at times we must deal with and come through if we want to be able to follow Christ most faithfully. A part of this process is allowing God to heal you from the things that have happened to you in this life. A part of the transformation that is found in the gospel is that we are healed from the hurt and the bitterness that may have been left by the actions of others. One of the things we see very clearly in Scripture is that we must forgive those who have hurt us, who have wronged us. In Matthew 6, 12, in the Lord's Prayer, it says, And forgive us our debts, as we have also forgiven our debtors. And directly following the completion of the Lord's Prayer, he says this, For if you forgive others their offenses, your heavenly Father will forgive you as well. But if you don't forgive, your Father will not forgive your offenses. And the truth we see from this is we cannot delight in the forgiveness of God and withhold forgiveness from others. Because as much as you have done to offend God, as much as you have done, and He is, while you were a sinner, He loved you. After we have been saved and forgiven through the power of the Holy Spirit, part of this process of becoming like Christ is having that mind of Christ and to see these people have sinned against me. And like Christ has forgiven me, I must forgive them. If we are to be pure and blameless before God, and that's our goal is to be this this pure and holy bride that we'll get to in a moment, we have to let go of the the bitterness, the anger, the resentment that can, can hold such a deep place in our hearts. It's difficult, but we're called to do that because we must seek to faithfully follow Christ. One of the things that is very clear in this passage and through the entirety of Scripture is that a relationship of God with God will impact the way we live our lives. We talked about the relationship that, that we have with Christ because of what Jesus has done, and that we, we talked about how God will be faithful to us, but in this relationship, we must also seek to be faithful to Him. We discussed Wednesday that the, the church is the bride of Christ, and this is this idea that gets used in Scripture. And in a marriage, you seek to be faithful to one another, to hold this relationship in high esteem, to, to honor it. And that's how we should view our relationship with God, to hold it in high esteem, to honor it. And a massive part of our relationship is seeking to live obedient and pure lives, not for our salvation, but for the sake of the one who has saved us. We see the end of this passage that the purpose of growing in love and knowledge is that we may be pure and blameless in the day of Christ. 
And we see very specifically this illustration of the church being the bride of Christ in 2 Corinthians 11.2. For I am jealous for you with a godly jealousy because I have promised you in marriage to one husband to present a pure virgin in Christ. This idea of, of who the church should be, who believers should be, is a purified bride on her wedding day. Right? We, we know that, that brides wear white on their wedding day to symbolize purity. And this is the image of what God has said and what Paul is, his goal of discipling these believers, of leading them to Christ and to, to be obedient to Christ is that they'll purify themselves. They will seek to follow God and to present themselves before Christ as pure and undefiled. We see very clearly this is a central theme of Scripture. This idea of a new life, right? The, the idea of baptism is we're buried with Christ and raised to walk in newness of life, to be a new creation. All of these things are so clear in Scripture. To be holy, to follow in a different way of living than our sinful life before us. And as it says in 1 Peter 1, 15-16, But as the one who called you is holy, you are also to be holy in all your conduct. For it is written, Be holy, because I am holy. And as long as we are clear that our actions can do nothing for our status of salvation, we cannot overemphasize that our lives and our conduct should be shaped by this relationship with Christ. And this book, this letter to the Philippians, is, is started in this mindset. That they are all on the same team. They are all founded in a relationship that they have with Christ that has given them a relationship with one another. And Paul's prayer for them is to thank God for what he's seen in them, the way they've partnered in the gospel, the way they've been obedient to God. And his prayer for the future is that they would become more obedient, to be pure and blameless on the day of Christ. And all of this comes from what Jesus has done on the cross. Their belief. That's why Paul went, right? Go to all nations. Make disciples. And this is what is happening in Philippi. And this is why the gospel has spread across the oceans and across the world. is because that is our commandment. What we learn here is, is that we need to have a relationship with Christ. And if we have a relationship with Christ, we should have a relationship with one another. And if we have this relationship with Christ, that our lives should line up with what we say we believe. We are to be holy because God is holy. So the questions I want to ask you as we come to a time of invitation today, and, and I want to make it very clear that this time of invitation is a time for you to worship God and to celebrate what He's done, but it's a time to challenge yourself. Every person should challenge themselves with what God has called us to do. So the, the, the questions I want to challenge you with from this passage today is, do you have a relationship with Jesus Christ? Have you understood that be, because of your sin, you were destined for punishment, like all people destined for punishment because of what Jesus Christ did, because of the blood of Jesus, you are able to be saved from your sin, to, to no longer be destined for punishment, but to be made right with God. Do you have a relationship with him? Have you made him your Lord and Savior? Have you believed this good news of the gospel? How are you walking this morning as a partner in grace? If you have believed in the gospel, if you are saved, how are you being a partner in the gospel with those around you? How are you being a partner in the gospel with fellow believers in this church, outside this church? How are you engaging in that goal together? Are you engaged in the work of the gospel, making disciples of all nations? Are you coming alongside those who are your partners in this work? Are you 
coming alongside them in their hurts, their difficulties? And the final thing is, are you experiencing life change because of the gospel? Are you seeking to be pure and blameless on the day of Christ? Are you looking and trying to grow closer to Him so you can see how you can follow Him more faithfully? Have you forgiven those who've hurt you? Are you holding on to resentment and bitterness? Today, during this time of invitation, is a time, an invitation to reconcile those things. Wherever God may be leading you, wherever God may be convicting you, you can come to the altar and pray. You can come and I will pray with you. You can pray right where you are. But the invitation is to respond to what God has shown us in His Word. And so as Becky comes and as we have this time, I'd invite you to stand as we pray and ask that we would be faithful where God leads. Let us pray. Father, we thank You for this time You've given us to come together, for this time that we have had to look at Your Word and to see Paul's love for the Philippians and the way he loves them because of the Gospel and the way they have responded to the Gospel. And his desire they live a pure and holy life. And God, I pray that today as we have looked at this passage, you will help us to see and to look at our lives, to examine, are we following you? Are we partnering with other believers? Are we seeking to live a life that is pure and blameless? And God, I know and I trust and I believe that you who have began a work in my life and in the lives of many in this room, you will see it to completion. And I pray that we will be obedient as you lead. And Father, I pray that if there are any who do not know you this morning, that today would be the day that they would lay down their sin, they would repent and believe and trust in the, the salvation that is only available because of what Jesus has done. And it's in His name that we pray all of these things. Amen.